Good morning. Jimmy, thanks for taking us to the Father on John's behalf uh, just a little bit ago. We need to be, be prayerful uh, for John. Uh, I'll echo Jimmy's sentiments. Thanks to all our first responders for responding. And uh, let's be sure and keep John and his family uh, in our prayers. I want to welcome you. We are glad that you are here this morning. If you're a guest of ours, we are honored to have you with us. It's September, and um, we, I, am challenging us all in September here to wear a name tag, to make it a September where we remember to call each other by name. So if you didn't do that yet, before you go to class, maybe put a name tag on. There's nothing more beautiful than the sound of a person's name. So for this month, let's make a concerted effort to try to wear a name tag and call each other by name for the month of September. And then we'll carry on over to October. You might not know this, but today, September 10th, is National Grandparents' Day. If you're a grandparent, congratulations, this is your day. September 10th is also National Swap Ideas Day. It really is. No clapping for that? What is it is also National um, TV Dinner Day. Today. Not making that up. Today is also National Hug Your Hound Day. There's a lot going on today. Okay? So if you hug your hound while you're eating a TV dinner, while you're swapping ideas with your grandparents, you are going to have a fantastic day. You got it all covered, right? And I hope you're having a, a fantastic day today. I hope today's a really good day for you. You know, some days are, are better than others. Some days are fantastic. Some days not quite so good. Um, let me share with you some that someone wrote about a day that he had that was not a good day at all. He says, today has not been a good day. I decided to go horseback riding, something I haven't done in many, many years. Turned out to be a big mistake. I got on the horse and started out slowly, but then we went a little bit faster, and before I knew it, we were going as fast as the horse could go. I couldn't take the pace and fell off. And I caught my foot in the stirrup with the horse dragging me. It just wouldn't stop. Thankfully, the manager at Chuck E. Cheese came and unplugged the machine. Not a good day, right? <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. You all have thought that was good. Listen, some days are better than others, right? But I want you to think about a fantastic, amazing day that you've had in your past. Now, I want you to think, try to think about two or three just amazing days that you've experienced. And, and I wonder if any of those days would include anything to do with your walk with God. We're going through uh, the book of Joshua. We're taking a look at the life and the times of this man Joshua. And we're going to look today at a day that Joshua experienced that was amazing. It was a day that something happened that had never happened before and has never happened since. But before we get to that day, I need to give you a little bit of context, okay? 
Last week we talked about Joshua fighting that famous battle of Jericho and watching God bring those walls down. And because of that and some other things, the Israelites' reputation is starting to spread throughout Canaan. I mean, people are starting to pay attention to this group of people who are coming in and seem to be doing pretty amazing things. And uh, the Israelites find themselves at a place called Gilgal. And while in Gilgal, a group comes to Joshua and the Israelites, and they've got these old, worn-out clothes on. All their food is moldy. They're carrying in these old bags. And they tell Joshua, we have traveled from a long, long way away. We have come from a far distance and we've heard about you all. Your renown is sort of famous. And, and we're asking that you would make a treaty with us and protect us. And the text says in chapter 9 that Joshua and the other leaders sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Joshua does make a peace treaty with these people. He agrees to give them protection but he didn't inquire of the Lord. And what Joshua finds out is he's been deceived. He's been tricked. These people have not come from a long way away. In fact, they live in Canaan. They're Canaanites. The very people that God told Joshua to drive out. They're the Gibeonites. But God said, drive those people out. Now, Joshua's not going to drive them out. He's now made a treaty to protect them. So, you've got these um, Canaanites who are fighting other Canaanites because the other kings in that area go to war against the Gibeonites. So you got Canaanites fighting Canaanites. you got Canaanites asking the Israelites to protect them from Canaanites, which is exactly the kind of thing that happens when you don't first inquire of the Lord. So let's pick this thing up in chapter 10. Now that we have a little bit of context. Uh, the, the other kings in, from the area are attacking the Gibeonites. So the Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you, which had to be music to Joshua's ears. Because Joshua, you know, marching has to be thinking, okay, God's been with us through every single battle, but is He going to be with us through this battle? Because God never told me to protect Canaanites. God told me to, to get rid of the Canaanites. I made a mistake. I, I messed up. I didn't inquire of the Lord. Is the Lord going to abandon us? But God makes it very clear to Joshua, makes it very clear to us as well, that our mistakes from the past do not disqualify us from being delivered by God in the future. God told Joshua, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to deliver you in this battle. And once again, the outcome has been stated before the battle has even started. And what happens next is an amazing day that the Israelites would never forget. Chapter 10, verse 9. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory at Gibeon. Israel pursued them along the road going up to Beth Horon, 
and cut them down all the way to Ezekiah and Machedah. And then take a look at the next verse. This, this, is, this is amazing. It's not even the most amazing part of the story, okay? But it's still pretty amazing. Verse 11. As they fled before Israel on the road down from Beth Horon to Ezekiah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So God throws them into confusion. The Israelites experience this great victory. Then they go in pursuit of a fleeing enemy, and God starts hammering them with hailstones. Think about that. Now you think about going to a football game, and hailstones start hitting one team, but not the other team. That'd be pretty amazing, right? Plus, God has arranged, God, God is taking this mistake that Joshua made, and he's redeeming it by, by taking care of this battle, but he's also arranged that now Joshua has the opportunity to fight all these other kings. Joshua now uh, can fight all these other kings at one time. But Joshua knows it's going to take some time. And he's running out of daylight. And in those days, nighttime was a real game changer when it came to warfare. Now, there wasn't any spotlights, there wasn't any night vision goggles. The people who were most familiar with the terrain had the upper hand. They could, they could regroup, they could, they could kind of retreat. So Joshua gets in front of his entire army. And he makes this outrageous request of God. Listen, listen to Joshua's prayer. You know, people say, you know, how do you measure a person's faith? Well, one way is to listen to the prayers that they pray. Listen to this prayer that Joshua prays. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, Joshua said to the Lord in the presence of Israel, O sun, stand still over Gibeon. O moon, over the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on all its enemies, as is written in the book of Jashar. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There's never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. What an amazing request from Joshua. You, you know it's a big ask, when the Bible itself says, this is unprecedented. This has never happened before. It's never happened since. Now, who ever heard of the sun standing still? Now, let me just go ahead and say, a lot of people have a problem with this miracle. And the main reason that a lot of people have a problem with this miracle is because we know that the sun always stands still, Right? The sun doesn't rise and fall. We know that the earth moves around the sun. So scientists and some theologians say that what Joshua is doing here is actually using poetry to explain a great victory. And if you want to read it that way, that's fine. The Bible does that sometimes. Judges chapter 5, the Israelites have a great victory and Deborah sings a song about the stars fighting for Israel. If you want to read it as poetry, that's fine. But here's the problem I have with that. The author doesn't write it as poetry. He writes it as historical fact. I mean, what, what do you do with, you know, the hailstone, right? My personal belief 
is that Joshua prayed this bold, audacious prayer asking God to give him more daylight and God gave Joshua exactly what he asked for. More daylight. Now, I can't explain the physics of it any better than Joshua would have been able to, but I don't believe for a second that God is limited by the very things that he created. You say, what about the laws of nature? The laws of nature answer to God. God does not answer to the laws of nature. The laws of nature obey God. That's why the psalmist would write in Psalm 74, both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries of the earth. And you make both summer and winter. In other words, day, night, sun, moon, stars, seasons. God, you created all of those things. All those things answer to you, not the other way around. You spoke those things into existence. Now, have you ever noticed how many of Jesus' miracles go against the laws of nature? Now, Jesus wants to walk on water to cross a lake. He walks on water. If he wants to turn water into wine, he turns water into wine. If he wants fish to swim into a net, fish swim into a net. If he tells a storm, calm down, take it easy, the storm calms down and takes it easy. Laws of nature answer to Jesus, answer to God, not the other way around. In fact, you want to talk about things that happen against the laws of nature? The resurrection, probably at the top of that list, right? The Bible is full of story after story after story of creation answering to God. And I have absolutely no problem believing that the sun stood still that day. Joshua had extra daylight. Again, I can't explain it, but I believe he asked for extra daylight and God gave him extra daylight. And for me, the most amazing thing isn't that God could do it. Of course, God could do it. The most amazing thing to me is that Joshua had this courage and the faith to ask God to do it in front of all the people. Amazing thing is that Joshua was fearless enough to ask God to do something so big and so unimaginable. And because Joshua was so courageous, he was able to witness something that was outrageous. You know why I think that we don't see God do more outrageous things in our time today? It's not because he's not faithful. I think it's because we're too fearful. I believe God still listens to and listens for outrageous prayers. I believe God still wants to fight for his people. The same way he fought for his people in Joshua's day. God listens to big prayers. Let me tell you an old story. This will be familiar to most of you. A teenage boy goes into a candy store one day and he tells the owner there, I need three boxes of candy. I need a $5 box, I need a $10 box, and I need a $20 box of candy. And the guy at the store says, why do you want three boxes of candy? He says, well, I got a date tonight with a really special girl. First date, we're going to a movie. After that movie, when I bring her home, if she shakes my hand, I'm going to give her the $5 box of candy. But if that girl lets me give her a hug, I'm giving her the $10 box of candy. But if she lets me kiss her goodnight, she's getting the $20 box of candy. So he buys all three boxes, puts them in his car. He goes to the girl's house that night. She answers the door and says, listen, before we go to the movie, my parents want us to have dinner with them. They walk in, they sit down, and the girl's father says, we generally have a prayer before we eat. Young man, would you mind leading that prayer? And that teenage boy bowed his head, and he prayed the longest, 
most fervent, most heartfelt, uh, most beautiful prayer you've ever heard in your life, when he finally said amen, his date leaned over and said, I never knew you were so spiritual. He whispered back, I never knew your dad owned a candy store. (laughs) You all saw that coming. Here's the point of that very old joke. So old, it's obviously new to some. If you got big plans, if you got big dreams, you better be praying big prayers. How big is your God? And one way to answer that question is to ask yourself, how big are my prayers? What's the biggest prayer I've ever prayed? You know, Jesus taught us to pray our Father in heaven. And right off the bat, Jesus wants us to know two things. One, your God loves you. He's your Father. And fathers love to give their children blessings. Not only that, but your Father is in heaven, which means He is not contained, and He is not confined by the limitations of this world. So don't think that, well, I can't ask God something that out there, right? I can't pray a prayer that's kind of out there that way. Listen, God is out there, okay? That's where God lives. That's where God exists. He's out there. Scripture tells us if we pray in faith for mountains to move, God will make mountains move. When we pray, we ask God to intervene, and we expect God to do something that would not have happened had we not prayed. Through prayer, like Joshua, we're asking God to step into our lives to accomplish His mission. And we don't have to just ask for little things. We don't have to pray small prayers. Because our God is big enough to deliver on all prayers. That's why John would say in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask for anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked for. We don't have to be afraid to pray big prayers. Especially considering the fact that we're told to pray in God's will. Pray so that God is glorified. So that God's will and God's mission is accomplished. God doesn't want you praying small, stuck prayers. He doesn't want us to settle. And I'll tell you something else about people who are fearless. They don't just pray big prayers. They also don't stay still. Remember in Joshua 10, it says that they'd marched all night long. Let me give you a little context into that march. That was a 25-mile march. From where they were to where the battle took place was 25 miles. They gained 4,000 feet of elevation between those two points. So, in effect, Joshua and his army ran a marathon at night with all their gear on uphill. Which is to say, they showed up. Joshua makes this outrageous request of God, and then he proved, I'm willing to be used in whatever way you want to use me to help you accomplish, to help you use me to accomplish your will. In other words, he backed up his ask with his actions. He told God, God, you make the sun stand still, and we won't stand still. We'll go. We'll act. We'll move. 
I have heard people in my life say, you know, I'm just waiting on God. As if God's some old man that has to catch up with us, right? Catch his breath a little bit. I'm just waiting on the Lord. Are you kidding me? God's right here. (laughs) You're not waiting on God. God's already here. God is everywhere. So if you feel stuck, if you feel stagnant, it's not because God hasn't shown up. It's not because you're waiting on God. Chances are, God's waiting on you. Listen, we want to ask God to do the impossible, but we really don't want Him to ask us to do the uncomfortable. And I know I've talked about this before, but it reminds me of that prayer that was prayed by the church in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, for the first time in history, the church is warned about talking about Jesus. And they're warned by the people who have leverage, by the people who can actually back up their threats. So what does the church do? They don't organize a march and protest downtown. They don't rant on social media. The church gets together and they pray. Listen to what they pray. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Okay, pause just a minute. That's exactly what got them in trouble in the first place, right? That's what this whole thing is about. Because they've been talking about Jesus with great boldness. They were told by the authorities to stay quiet. Their prayer is, God, make us louder. But that's not all they asked for. They also asked for the outrageous. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're saying, God, we are ready to move. And the text says that the place where they prayed was was shaken, that they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. They asked God to make them more fearless. And God's response was to make them more fearless. Now you go back to the story of Joshua, that previous generation that was at the, the, the door of the, uh, of the promised land 40 years earlier, one that was too afraid to, you know, to cross Jordan and go on in. They stood still. They didn't go. They didn't move. And they all died in the, in the wilderness. But Joshua leads a group of people who give their children and their grandchildren an opportunity to live in God's promised land. They give their children and their grandchildren the chance to live where God wants them to be, experiencing what God wants them to experience. And I would like to believe that we are giving our children and our grandchildren a chance to be where God wants them to be and to experience what God wants them to experience. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to get moving. I want my children, I want my grandchildren to see me as someone who witnessed God moving and was willing to move also. And that means that we're going to have to be fearless in our holiness. And we're going to have to be fearless in our witness. And we're going to have to be fearless in our faithfulness. Great missionary William Carey put it this way. Expect great things from God... Attempt great things 
for God. Which is just another way of saying, pray big and show up. By the way, that's exactly what Jesus did, right? There was never a more courageous prayer than Jesus prayed at Gethsemane. And no one ever showed up to the extent that Jesus showed up at Calvary. In Joshua chapter 10, the sun keeps shining even though it's nighttime. At Calvary, the sun stops shining even though it's daytime. And the same thing was going on both times. God was fighting for His people. That's the God that we serve. Even the sun obeys Him. So we need to pray, and we need to live like people for whom the victory has already been claimed. The victory has already been stated before the battle has even really been started. So my challenge this week is pretty simple. Pray big and show up. Pray big and show up. Ask God to make you more courageous. Which, I warn you, is a dangerous prayer. Because if you pray for courage, that means you might be forced to deal with a sin or an addiction that you've been hiding for a long time. And if you pray for more courage, that means that that neighbor of yours, that coworker of yours that you've worked with for years might finally hear you talk about Jesus. And if you pray for more courage, that means that someone is probably going to hear you say, I'm sorry. Or hear you say, I forgive you. If you pray for more courage, your generosity might go to a level that scares you to death. You pray for more courage, you might find yourself volunteering to work and to serve and to give and to sacrifice. I'm asking you to pray, to have the courage to pray for more courage. I remind you again of what John said. I, I quoted it a minute ago. Let me put it on the screen because I don't want you to miss it. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we will have what we ask of Him. And we're going to do that right now. We're going to pray to God. I'm going to finish the prayer, but I want you to start the prayer right where you're sitting. I want you to bow your head and silently ask God to give you more courage in whatever area of your life you know you need more courage. So let's pray. God, we are tired of timid discipleship and we're tired of weak faith. We want to pray big and we want to show up. So God, we ask right now that you would make us fearless because Jesus is worth it. We pray it in his name. Amen. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. If we can help you as a church family in any way, we invite you to come and let us know. Let's be standing.